my goodness. I came across that song right in the middle of preparing for this message, and I thought, oh my, I, I can't imagine a better illustration of the tension that we experience daily of living in the borderlines between life and death, death and life, between heaven and earth, between this longing and this deep desire for every single one of us to experience the redemption that we know that Jesus promises, but yet being here in this world where not, not every wrong has yet been righted, not every broken thing has yet been repaired, not every lost thing has been found, but yet that's the promise, and that's where all of life is moving toward. And we find ourselves, at least I do, I mean, I'll, I'll be totally honest and say that so often I find myself living in the tension of these borderlines. And I think on a lot of days, too, wondering, do I believe this? Like, do I, do I really believe that, that the Lord can help me navigate through these tensions and help me experience the promised life that's true for every single one of us who believe on the other side of death, but that can be tasted here and now. I remember on Easter Sunday, our senior pastor asked all of us to repeat a statement saying, absent in the body, present with the Lord. In fact, let's repeat it now together. Absent in the body, present with the Lord. Oh, that's, one of our, that's one of our like true good news promises that Jesus is, gives to us. In fact, this statement comes from King James, the King James version of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, when he said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The boundary lines, the borders. In this passage, Paul boldly declares that Christ's followers ought to really consider and even long for home away from the body and present with the Lord. That's a major declaration. To be not in this body, but to be present with Jesus. That, that's kind of a, I mean, that's true, but that's kind of a big declaration that in a lot of ways really confronts our greatest fear, which is death itself. Paul's confronting our greatest fear, humanity's greatest fear, and, and quite honestly, our greatest unknown of what happens beyond this life. So how do we know that we know that we know? How, how can we take confident hope in this? I'm thinking about a time when I visited a friend of mine who happened to be attending Harvard Medical School at the time. I visited him back in October 2009, and he took me on a tour of the school, took me on a tour of the city of, in Boston, and we visited all the sites and all the, heard all the sounds, and he took me to what he considered his personal favorite site in the whole city. I snapped this picture of this painting hanging up in a place uh, on the front wall of a place called the Ether Dome. Some of you might be familiar with this painting, especially if you're in you're in the medical field at all. This painting hangs outside of the surgical operating amphitheater inside the Massachusetts General Hospital. And the title of this painting is called Ether Day. And it depicts the first successful use of anesthesia during a medical operation. In October 1846, Dr. John Collins Warren, and just hang with me for a moment as I go through this, because it sets up what, what we want to talk about today. He administered sulfuric ether to remove a tumor from that poor dude's neck. Imagine being that dude who said, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? What was that? 
either that thing was like, he was feeling that thing and was like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to take it out or I don't know. But man, imagine being the first patient to undergo general anesthesia. Within months, physicians around the world began administering ether as a general anesthetic. And within years, major surgeries and amputations, which at one point were considered either impossible or couldn't be done without intense pain, became routine procedures. And now within the last 170 years, only eight generations away from when that painting first depicted that historical move in medical science, now what was once this up-close and personal experience in daily human life, death is now considered preventable in most circumstances. And praise God, praise God for his wisdom. And how it has become made manifest in the wonder and miracle of modern medicine and technology. Yet the shadow side of medical science seeks to remove death altogether from our lives. Which all of us know is an impossibility. One surgeon named Atul Gawande argues in his best-selling 2014 book, Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End, that a medicalized view of death frequently results in people dying now in institutions cut off from their loved ones and comforts, perhaps you've even experienced that. And after this past year, I think many of us know firsthand the pain of Gawande's statement. He writes, I'm in a profession that has succeeded because of its ability to fix. If your problem is fixable, man, we know just what to do. But if it's not, well, Gawande says the fact that we have had no adequate answers to this question is troubling it has caused callousness, inhumanity, and extraordinary suffering. In our society today, death has become an enemy to be defeated, a failure to be prevented, rather than an expected life stage for every single one of us. And I know this could be a tough topic to talk about on 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and I totally get that. But the reason why I bring it up is because the good news of Easter Sunday which we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago, the good news of Easter Sunday says that death does not pronounce the final word over you. Death does not pronounce the final word. As a matter of fact, the victory of Easter declares that we have nothing to fear, including death itself. So perhaps the better question for us to ask today is what does God want us to know about eternal life. During the 40 days following Jesus' resurrection, his life showed us life after death, which promises more life, more victory, and more peace for all of those who place their trust in his life. Through the inspired words of Jesus' most beloved disciple, John, God gives us a clear word about death by giving us confident knowledge of eternal life. I want to pause for just a moment. There seems to be a situation taking place on this side of our room. And so what I'd like to do now is I just want to invite us together just in a word of prayer. May we do that together? Lord, in speaking about your life, in speaking about your presence with us, we invite your presence now upon those individuals involved in a situation Lord, we invite you to be with us now as a whole community, as a whole church, as a whole body. We invite your healing upon the individuals involved in what is taking place. 
Lord, we ask for your healing mercy, for your grace. Lord, we invite your comfort into this moment, your peace. We invite your resurrection power. Right now, we ask for it right now. For your resurrection life and power right now. That may it be a witness and a testimony to your presence with us as we make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and continue together. Uh, I'm aware of what's happening over here, and we have some extraordinary heroes over there helping. And so we're going to continue together now um, and trust that our heroes over here are doing the work that God has called them to do. You know, unlike one of the well-constructed letters that we read in the New Testament, God inspired John to write this first letter with passion, simple to read, but profound in its meaning. You know, John wasn't a scholar. He was a practical leader who desired to keep his people on point with Jesus, whom he called the word of life. John wrote, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. And John provides three knowledge bases by using three different Greek terms for how we can know this truth for ourselves and how we can know it with confidence. Today, my aim is that for everyone within the sound of my voice, everyone listening to this message here as well as online, my aim for you is that all of us will grow together in certainty of eternal life. John describes the first knowledge base in chapter 2 when he wrote, and we can be sure that we know him. That is the one who is eternal life. That is the one who is able to help us resist the power of sin if we do something here. If we obey his commandments. Now what are his commandments? Well, his commandments are to love God and love others. As you love yourself. On the surface, this may sound like John is saying that we need to love God and others First, in order to earn God's love. I'm going to pause here for just a moment. And we're going we're gonna to give these individuals over here just a few minutes to ensure that the help that this individual needs is received. In fact, Jose, could you put on some music just for a few moments? Thank you very much.
Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to bring you in uh, just for just a brief moment. So one of our uh, deacons, a great brother of ours, uh, is just having some trouble breathing right now. But we have medical staff, um, law enforcement over there to help him um, breathe and uh, help him come to um, a stabilizing place. And so what I'd like to do now, I think the most important thing we could do is just enter into another time of prayer. I'm aware that Kindle Campus is streaming this message as well. And so we want to invite Kindle Campus to pray with us too, uh, to pray for our brother Charlie as well, for anybody joining us online. Um, in a moment like this, uh, which is unexpected, the most appropriate thing that we can do is just simply respond, especially as a body, as a group of individuals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to simply go to the Lord in prayer. And so let's allow them to do what they need to do. Uh, we have obviously EMS coming in through the side entrance now. And so we're going to trust that uh, Charlie is able to receive the care that he needs. So let's enter into a time of prayer. Lord, we, we come before you and we are um, in a place where our hands are completely open to you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. And we lift our brother Charlie to you. Lord, we, we pray that your healing mercy would come upon Charlie. Lord, that you would, with your strong, healing, mighty hand, that your will would be done upon him, that your, that your hand of grace would be with him. Lord, that you would cover him, his family. Lord, that you would bring comfort to his body. You would bring peace upon him, that you would give him the breath in his lungs, your breath, the very breath that you spoke and used creation Lord, that would come into his body and that would fill his lungs and give him the life breath that he needs. Lord, we need you. We need you. Lord, I invite your spirit now to fill this room with your presence. Lord, a few moments ago, we, we cried out that you alone are the victory. We sang these to you. We sang these songs to you, praising you because we believe it and we are trusting for you. So Lord, our hands are open. Our hands are open to you as we lift Charlie to you. Lord, protect him. May your healing mercy be upon him. For everybody now joining us, Kindle Campus online as one church, as one body. I want to invite us now just into a moment of silence. As we lift our prayers for Charlie and for the Lord's healing mercy to meet him in this place here and now.
Lord, we invite your presence upon Charlie. May your healing grace and healing mercy be on him. May you bring wisdom to all of those serving him now. Lord, be with them. Lord, be with them as we make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we invite all of us, all of us, if you agree with this prayer, say amen. 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 were rattled. Mine certainly is to see our dear brother Charlie suffer and go through uh, this particular situation and all of us. Uh, may we continue to invite God's presence and God's mercy upon him. Um, I'm well aware that continuing with the message at this particular point in time may seem trivial in some ways. Um, But also knowing Charlie as well as I do, I know that he wouldn't want us to stop from proclaiming the word. We need to know that we know that we know. You know, um, <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of Charlie's legacies in my life will forever be the fact that every time we talk, he always speaks to me with a certainty of eternal life because of his depth of knowledge in Christ and for the length of time that he's been journeying with Jesus. If you know Charlie, you know that. You can't talk to him without him sharing the joy and ribbing you a little bit. <laughs> At least he does with me. He just... You know, he'll poke me, and he'll rip me, and he'll jest with me. And then at the end, afterward, we'll always just talk about how grateful we are for each other and for this church and for what Jesus is doing in the life of our community. Because for Charlie and for so many of us here today, we know that we know that we know, and our confidence rests in Jesus. And whatever happens, we know that life goes after this life. And John gives that to us in this letter. In this simple yet profound letter. And so for the sake of time, I'm just going to run through a few key points from this letter that I want you to leave with today. That just help you, no matter where you might be. Whether you walked in here today doubting or questioning or maybe even not believing. And I want you to know that if you did, we welcome you. And you are so welcome here. In fact, you just witnessed one of the most intimate experiences within our community. And we want you to know that you're welcome here. And I hope that for all of us, that we will leave here with a growing confidence that after this life extends more life. And we know this because John uses three different Greek terms throughout his letter. The first term that he uses is this term called gnosko, which refers to how we gain knowledge through experience, through practice, through what John would call the scientific method. And gnosko, gnosko knowledge 
it, it reminds me, if you, if you don't mind me just using a bit of humor for a moment, it reminds me of Costco samples. <laughs> Gnosko knowledge reminds me of those samples that you eat to whet your appetite, to experience more. Our obedience to Jesus whets our appetite for more life, for eternal life. It whets our appetite to learn more about Jesus you know, I'm reminded here of when we talk about obedience in this culture, obedience typically doesn't, it's not a word that we resonate with. But listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Obedience to Jesus leads to rest and ease. And the more we taste and see that the Lord is good, then the less we will fear death. And the more that we will come to a saving understanding of our Lord and Savior and a confident hope in eternal life. John offers a second way that we can take confident hope in this. He bases this in chapter 3 when he says, Dear friends, we're already God's children. For those of you who believe, we belong, to, we belong to God. In fact, at the moment that you simply profess faith in Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Paul tells us that in Romans 10, 13. And so we come to a knowledge of God that's based in what John calls oida knowledge. This is a knowledge that we gain through perception and relationship. This is the kind of knowledge that you build with friends, that you would enjoy with your spouse. This is the kind of knowledge that as your relationship with Jesus grows, as you walk with Jesus over time, then you begin to see the integrity and the character of this person, Jesus. When you share God's love and invite others to join you in relational knowledge of Jesus, lives change for eternity. That's Charlie's legacy. That's the legacy of many of you. Lives change for eternity. But some of you, you might be wondering, well, how do I even begin a relationship? How, how, do, I, how do I cultivate this type of relationship with Jesus? I want to encourage you to do something practically today that I always referenced with our young adults. It's called the five by five by five. I want to encourage you to try this. If, if you feel like the speedometer is on zero for you, the five by five is this. Five minutes of daily Bible reading, five minutes of prayer, five minutes of journaling, and leaning into what God shares with you. Do this, and I promise, you will begin to cultivate an ongoing relationship and dialogue with Jesus. Start with John's letters. I'm in 1 John today, and there's going to be a lot that I leave out. But start in 1 John. You can read the whole letter in just a few minutes. Then read John's gospel. Dig into Luke's gospel. Download the YouVersion Bible app and start a five-day reading plan on any one of these letters or some topic that, that piques your attention or that's arrested your heart. Invite a friend to do this with you. Join a small group. Be involved. Get involved. As your relationship with Jesus grows, then so also does your confident hope in eternal life. You know what Paul says here, or what John says here? John says that, when we fall short of this, which all of us do, John says that even when we feel guilty 
And I don't know about you, but in my relationship with Jesus, occasionally, you know, I just feel guilty for falling short, for still sinning as frequently as I do, for being a broken man, for not engaging with Jesus as much as I, I know I need to and as much as Jesus would love for me to do. And do you know what John says here? I think this is one of the most magnificent moments of the whole letter. He says this, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. To read this in God's word gives me so much hope because when you don't feel God, or when you question God, or when you wonder, is, God, are you really there? Even if I've been walking for you for a while, God says, I'm bigger than your feelings. I'm still present in here. And I know all things. I want to touch on this for just a moment because the word that John uses for God's knowledge is the same word that God used or that John used for the first knowledge base that we learned. It's the word gnosko, which means that God's involvement and relationship with you is an evidence-based experiential knowledge. How does this work? Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians. Through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. God knows you intimately. God knows you personally. God knows you experientially because God formed you and created you. And literally, the scripture says, knit you together <laughs> in your mother's womb. How remarkable. He knows your joys. He knows your broken places. He knows our broken hearts and our sorrow for Charlie. He knows Charlie's body. He knows all of our bodies. And we can take a confident hope in that, that God's not some distant, far-off God, but up close and personal here and now with us. Do you know this God? Do you know Jesus? And life after life, John offers a third and final knowledge base toward confidence in eternal life. He says this, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. This is echo knowledge, knowledge that's built in instinctual knowledge. Like that feeling you get when you just know something simply because you know it. Like, I just, I just know that thing. You know, have you ever said that? Have you ever like, you know, I just know this because I know it. I just know that I know that I know it because... It just is. It's that instinct gut feeling. That's echo knowledge. The author of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has planted eternity in the human heart. And so in some ways, eternity is a gut feeling. And do you know what I love about what John does here? John gives equal weight to your gut feeling as he does to your experience, your gnosko knowledge. Your, your evidence-based scientific method type knowledge, as well as to your oida knowledge, to your relationship knowledge. In our day and age, sometimes we give a little bit more credibility to scientific method, and that's cool. But the Word of God gives just as much weight to your instinct, to your gut, as well as to your relationship with Jesus as the Word of God also gives to your experience and evidence-based knowledge. In fact, when we when we lessen our engagement in one of those three pathways, then we actually lessen our full knowledge about Jesus. And we also decrease our confident hope in eternal life because we're not experiencing the full realm of knowledge that God provided to every single one of us in our gut, through our experience, in relationship. 
amazing. As our knowledge of God's love for us grows, then our love for God grows in return, creating fellowship and togetherness, and not just between you and God, but also among us as a community. Let me close with this. Just a few days ago, I was walking with my daughter Hannah and my son Levi. We were on a walk just around our neighborhood, and my daughter asks me out of the blue. I did not provoke her to this. I did not. <laughs> I did not. Uh, we weren't talking about this. Uh, she asked me this just a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this message, but just out of the blue, she said this. She said, Daddy, do people want to die? I said, wow, out of the mouths of babes, right? And uh, at the same time this is going on, um, at the same time that my daughter is asking me these existential questions about life, my son wants to know if he can go pee in the neighbor's bush. You know, just, just a little, just a little uh, insight into the Reed house as we uh, are just journeying through our life. And so, of course, I said, well, so long as it's in the neighbor's bush, you know, you've got to do whatever you need to do. I think you're wondering if I really said that. <laughs> no, I, I answered my daughter. And I said, you know, I don't think people want to die. For the, I, I don't think most people want to die. But we never need to fear it. We never need to fear death. Because the promise of Jesus isn't just peace in this life, but it's life after death. It's life after life. Do you know without any doubt that on the other side of your death, is life. My friend, Jesus isn't about weighing the scales between good and bad for you. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't about recycling you until karma gets all washed out and you're good enough to get in. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus isn't wishful thinking. Jesus isn't about making you sign on the dotted line. Jesus isn't about making you do a bunch of stuff. Jesus isn't just a version of life. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is your life. Jesus is my life. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is your eternity. And whoever has the Son, John tells us, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have God's Son does not have life. It's as simple as that. That's why I love John's letter. It's so simple and matter of fact. Do you want life? Are you satisfied with trying to do your own thing with your life. If you want life today, it begins and ends with Jesus. And quite frankly, everything I know about that man, his entire witness for the six years that I've known him has always been about sharing with others about where he found life. And it was with Jesus and only Jesus. So today, if you're wondering if you have eternal life, my question back to you would be, do you have the Son? In Christ, death does not pronounce the final word over you. Life does. Love does. The Son does. Do you have the Son today? Choose life forever today. Choose the sun and may your first day of eternity begin here today. And may you always be willing rather to, to live absent from the body and present with the Lord where every son and daughter will know their worth.
God, we thank you for giving us your son. God, we thank you for giving us life. And God, we thank you that no matter when this life ends for us, that God, it's not a failure. And it's nothing that can be prevented. But rather, it's our doorway to life forever with you. And so, Lord, we need not fear it. We need not pretend it doesn't exist. And we need not flee from it. Rather, we simply aim our eyes to you. And we live with the confident hope that no matter what happens in this life, that you, beginning right now, will always be with us. Always. Always. Lord, we receive you. Whoever has the Son has life. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And we pray for our brother Charlie that your will be done, your healing mercy be on him. And we give you thanks and praise that his life goes on forever with you. God, we pray that in this moment you would give us peace, that you would comfort our hearts, that you would unite us together into one family into one body so that we may help others grow in their confident knowledge of you as we make this prayer in your name. And for anyone today who wants to take their next step of faith, perhaps you are believing and you are trusting today for the very first time. I just want to pray this simple prayer over you and invite you to pray with me. Lord, we love you. I receive your forgiveness today. I receive your love which first moved toward me. You loved us first, and I receive it today, and I surrender my life to you. I want to forever trust and believe that I will be with you forever. If you prayed this prayer with me, in this room, online, Kindle Campus, would you just simply raise your hand? I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Thank you. For those of you joining at the Kindle campus, there's a pastor looking for you. Joining online, simply put in the chat, today's my day. And someone will be right there with you. Lord, thank you for life change taking place right now for the first time. And for our confidence to be growing in you. Lord, may we be a church that takes every step with bold confidence. Knowing that our direction is forever with you. So Lord, we make this prayer in the name of your risen son, Jesus, who holds all things together. And we lift our brother Charlie to you. In the powerful name of your son, we make our prayer. Amen.